that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. People gather around a, well, in this case, uh, three grown men get in one bed and talk about the movies you'll never study in a film studies course. The new name of this podcast, Three Men in a Bed. Good Trash Nights. <laughs> Good Trash After Dark. Oh, man. We are trying to record in Dalton's bedroom, and so the furniture is a little unusual compared to usual. But what we are doing is talking about the film Raw, which is a uh, little documentary sequel to uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, in which... Uh, uh, I thought it was a documentary about uh, the the World Wrestling Entertainment uh, promotion, Raw. <laughs> Monday Night Raw. Monday Night, Monday Night Raw, Raw yeah. yeah. You know, a wolf pack for life. That's what I got to say right now. Wrong promotion. <laughs> Wrong yeah, That promotion. was WCW, right? Yeah. Yeah. NWO w- Wolfpack. D- WC- oh, was, was like, that was Monday Nitro, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's Monday Night Wars, bro. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't even watch wrestling and I know this shit. You no, know, it all runs together for me, I'm afraid, because it's all Because you're old. Sweaty man hugging. That's what it is. Yeah. Anyways. Pays the bills. <laughs> we know what Arthur does at night. Anyway, let's talk about who we are so the people who are listening to the show will know what's going on. Who are you to my left, sir? I am Arthur Gordon and hips out. <laughs> okay. Across the table or bed, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart and je suis vegetarian. <laughs> to, v- vegetarian is a con as a cognate, uh, as it turns out. So there you go. And uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and uh, I got nothing I want to say out of this movie <laughs> at all. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about the, the 2016 hit coming out of Cannes uh, that was released theatrically this year, Raw, the uh, the French-Belgian production that is gross as fuck. Good times to be had. It's going to be good times, dear listener, because this is a new film. We do want to give our standard warning uh, in this case because we do not want you to be spoiled if you do not wish to be spoiled. But what we do here at this show is it is an analysis show, not a review show. And that thus and therefore means uh, we will have to spoil the ending of the film to do some of our analysis. But we will hold off on that till uh, about the halfway mark of the show. So what will happen before that is we'll do a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then we will move from that into our thumbs up thumbs down reviews like you might find in a traditional review show uh then we'll move into a game which may or may not involve a spoiler from this film or other films in its orbit but we try to keep those the mildest possible of spoilers during that section and then finally we get down to business we do the analysis and all spoiler bets are then and therefore off so without any further ado mr arthur gordon voice the cinema let's hear that synopsis When a young vegetarian undergoes a carnivorous hazing ritual at vet school, an unbidden taste for meat begins to grow in her. Dun, dun, dun. You know, I I really think you should have had me. You should have said, I'm Dustin Sells, and uh, Arthur and Dalton aren't allowed to come out of the closet until they're both green. Until they're both green. Oh, my God. That would have been really good. Yeah, that's exactly what I should have said. So, yeah, if you're wondering, wait a second. I remember hearing about Raw. That's a a foreign film. I heard it was really good. They don't do good movies on this show. Well, yeah, but it's (laughs) Shocktober. um, And every Shocktober, we try to do, like, one kind of weird, arty horror film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
It, it keeps Dustin happy. It does keep me happy. Yeah, that's if the only reason. If Dustin ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah, that's true. That's the only reason he stays around. Is <laughs> once a year we we, we do one really <laughs> yeah. fuck wild horror movie. That's it. Then I'm mean, the only reason why I do the other yeah 51 shows every year <laughs> is just for that. Uh, it keeps him coming back for more. That's right. It's just, it, it's enough. You know. I mean, I get that taste in me, and I just I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. You know. It just. You know, something just awakens. It's insatiable. Yeah. It really is. Oh my gosh! All right, uh, I got to find out what you guys think about this movie. So, Dalton, go first. Tell me, thumbs up, thumbs down uh, on the film Raw. I mean, it's good. It, uh, it's a very beautifully shot film, uh, which is not surprising. Um, I really don't know how much to say um, because, again, this is a really new film, and generally, you know, we're like, "Oh, this isn't a spoiler show," but we're usually talking about you know, 10 to 20 year old films that most people have seen. And I feel like there probably are a lot of listeners who have not caught up with raw. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, do that. Um, while, you know, the, the genre of the new French extremity is kind of thought to have peaked around like 2003 to 2007. I think this probably fits firmly, uh, in that category. You'd have to talk to uh, Alex West over at the uh, faculty of war. She's kind of a, the internet's resident expert on the new French extremity. Uh, but I, I feel like, uh, well, her and Andrew Suisati, uh, but I, I feel like this probably qualifies. Um, it, it's doing some of the similar things. It is using gore to, to a degree that pushes it into body horror um, to say something about, uh, you know, gender politics, to say something about class conditions, uh, which is what the new French extremity is frequently engaged with, is gender politics and class uh, stratification. Um, and I think it's definitely doing something with that, um, and we'll talk more about that in analysis. But, uh, again, I, I want to kind of tiptoe around the plot of this film because um, I never knew where it was going to go. Uh, it is that kind of lethargically paced French film that it's not really plot-driven. It is really a, a series of set pieces and moments Um but uh, it works for me. I, I like films like that that really are just a kind of a, a series of vignettes. It almost feels like a really condensed season of television almost where the really big set pieces are like the, the big episodes of, of the season. Um, and that works for me. Uh, it works for me in, in a lot of um, kind of th- this sort of film, which is, you know, not um, exclusive to French cinema. I mean, there's plenty of American films that do similar things. Um, but I think that's what's so interesting about this is the application of that sort of storytelling to what is ostensibly a horror film. Um, you know, taking the plot out of a horror movie is always kind of really interesting. And I feel like a lot of uh, what little exposure I've had to the New French Extremity, that seems to be commonplace. Uh, although I could be mistaken. I'm talking a little bit out of my tree to some extent. But uh, I enjoyed it. I, it's, again, beautifully shot. The performers, um, who's none of, unfortunately, none of their names I bothered to learn because... Uh, I didn't recognize them and, uh, you know, French names and all that, uh, that's probably, you know, makes me a bad critic, but, uh, we'll, we'll rectify that later, uh, when other people are talking and look their names up. Uh, but the lead, uh, actress, I really, really liked her performance. I liked her sister's performance quite a bit as well. Uh, and her roommate, uh, those are really kind of the three central characters, but, uh, there's some other characters, uh, the doctor that she goes to see, I really, she's only got that one scene, but I really liked her. Everybody's face has just got a great face for for cinema they have very expressive very kind of um specific faces that i i really appreciated watching on 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 screen and uh the gore effects um in this film are pretty buck wild uh and it's not always gore sometimes it's uh you know 
uh, a dog cadaver in a class. So if that's something that upsets you, stay away from this. Sometimes it's a, a cow's pooper. Um, that's a thing that happens. So uh, they are in veterinary school, guys. Um, I don't believe that was the cow's pooper. Uh, yes, it was. No. Oh, buddy, it was. <laughs> I thought they were uh, checking for a prolapsed... Uh... Nope. Did you not see the handful of shit she pulled out? No, I did not. Yep, that that was a pooper. Okay, well, that's good. Yep. Because I've seen the same procedure done with calves. Yes, I mean, I know that's a thing. Yeah, we get it. You grew up on a farm. Um, (laughs) Jesus Christ, let it go. Yeah, we've heard about the dairy. (laughs) That's that's an archer thing. Sorry. Um, Yeah, no, I I liked it. Again, I want to go ahead and pass the mic because at this point I'm I'm just going to keep talking in circles because I'm afraid of spoiling plot points. But uh, it's weird. And gross. And if uh, you can hang with weird and gross, then uh, I think you will glean something from Raw. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dolster. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review of Raw? Uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't know if enjoy. I need to work on my adjectives. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I think it is really solid. I think it's a great horror film. Uh, I, I, there were two really good coming-of-age movies that I watched this year. Uh, one was uh, Girlhood and Bondafia. Uh, or Unfidiban, uh, which is oh, man, girlhood, super good, so good, super great. And I was, I, I was reminded of that a few times through here. We get the dancing scene, which is great, a great moment in the movie. Uh, but this is another great. Not only is it a great horror film, but it's a great coming of age movie, and it blends those two genres really well together. And we see this a lot. Uh, werewolf films typically kind of lean into this as uh, coming of age narratives, uh, and that's really, I think, uh, what we're kind of playing with here as well. And I think of something like Ginger Snaps, uh, they are the uh, much ill-gotten uh, Teen Wolf. Uh, but it's playing with that definite you know, story trope of the coming of age. Yeah, the idea. inner monstrousness as a uh, metaphor for uh, hormonal yeah. awakening. One reviewer yeah. called this film Ginger Snaps meets Suspiria. Yeah. And I think that's apt. Solid, yeah. Uh, and so I think it's doing some great stuff in, in that vein because it's, there's this moment. Uh, the movie, even though we don't really... There's a certain moment where it just snaps and the kind of the horror really takes over. But in the early parts of the film, uh, there's this really nice, uh, there's this tension throughout. Not because it's scary, but because everything is so awkward and uncomfortable because yeah, we're following a teenage girl around. Yeah. Justine uh, yeah. is the character's name as played by, I did go ahead and rectify that. Uh, yeah, you want to go ahead and pronounce that one for me? Garance Marie. Yeah, Maria. Yeah, Maria. Uh, we're gonna get the, so Justine. Just just uh, talk yeah. like you have barbels in your mouth. No one can tell. Uh-huh. That's what I always do when I'm. If you affect an exaggerated accent of the language you're trying to pronounce, it just sounds like you're doing what you're supposed to be yep. doing. Uh, exactly yeah, Justine. It. Just everyone is so mean to her. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, like people can smell her her fear yeah. and her anxiety, and they yeah. just like prey upon her. And yeah. Yeah, man, as somebody who who has had their their fair share of uh, social awkwardness throughout their their coming of age, it was really upsetting before it even goes gets into the gore. Yeah, and so it's able to balance that tone from this kind of coming of age narrative into this horror film, and that works so well. And I also uh, appreciate there are these really great moments of biting humor uh, peppered throughout uh, that work. There's one in a bathroom about halfway through the film that works really well. There's a great joke there, um, and so it's. It's really well put together. It's a really strong script. Great performances, like uh, Dalton mentioned, uh, and it's uh, it's got some really uh, horrendous things to look at. Uh, so if that's your bag, and you're going to be all in, and this is another movie uh, when we watched Martyrs, uh, I'd really built that up in my head that it's going to be about tenfold worse than what it was, and this one was probably 
tamer than what I was expecting, but it's still really it's if, still if, really hard to get through in parts. If you can hang with martyrs, you can probably hang oh, with definitely. this. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah. The sure. the violence in this film is decidedly more graphic, but it's also less like traumatic to watch, yeah. if that makes sense. And one I was reading some you know, reviews, and one of the great ones I read was they were they were uh, really um, praising the film and the, the direction and the story to not show us an event and then show us that event in the extreme. And there's a moment uh, at a party later in the film where they go off, the sisters go off into a, a location, and then we don't see what happens. And then the next scene, we see, see everything that, that happened and exactly how horrible it was. And we see this constantly repeated through the film, these kind of moments that don't happen. And then we see the full effect of what happened. And, and it's, mm-hmm. I think, more shocking in, in that moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Well done. Well said, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also like this movie a lot because I came into it uh, not so much uh, – I am probably the least squeamish of uh, the good trash on cast crew when it comes to uh, – Yeah, you watch a lot of weird crap. I, yeah. It's yeah. a gradient probably. Yeah. I, I, you know I, you know me. I love my gore effects, but it's usually uh, in action films. Right. So yeah, that's, right. that's my uh, my wheelhouse. So th- th- this is this. Is, I wasn't really nervous about that. What I was afraid of, because I had understood the premise of the film to be this vegetarian student who is a veterinarian, you know, this sort of PETA, animal-loving, you know, crunchy granola values kind of kid, shows up, gets dared to do this, and, you know, whatever happens to her, and it turns into a scary movie. And I expected, like, this sort of overbearing, preachy, you know, uh, film that's going to tell me, you know, meat is murder. Yes, that's what it's about. No, I mean, it does indeed have some of that conversation going in that. A touch. And I think we do want to discuss that later when we get to analysis. But as you guys talked about, it is talking about uh, coming-of-age issues. It's talking about body image issues. It's talking about eating disorders. It's talking about issues surrounding sexual awakening, issues surrounding bullying, bullying in the age of of uh, digital media and mm-hmm. social media and those kinds of things. It is also dealing with issues of family secrets. It's also playing with good old-fashioned vampire tropes. It, it, it's got so many plates spinning and is doing so very deftly because it really it, – it's one of those kinds of films. And this is one of the, this is one of the interesting sort of uh, aesthetic sheets of French cinema, uh, French extremity cinema in, in particular, that they uh, – rather than giving you something didactic, they simply introduce the idea and then it is to uh, in, in, uh, suggest to the, the viewer that you think more about it later. And this is one of those kinds of movies that I love in which it's introducing to me a whole lot of ideas that are that are fleshed out well enough that they, they, they're introduced as ideas. They're not just sort of like slapdash thrown around in the pan and then we just go on with it. They are introduced and integrated into something of a story without solving all the puzzles, without solving all the riddles in which you have to say, okay, so what is this woman dealing with? And the answer is, is a Venn diagram of things that she's dealing with. The Justine is somewhere in the center of a Venn diagram of several different, um, you know, social, uh, psychological, sexual, and uh, just maybe physiological pressures. And that's really, really interesting. And so uh, for my money, I, I dig it. Of course, performances are great. Uh, I think the choice with the camera are great. I think it's got a great visual style. We've already talked about that a little bit. I love the sound on this film. You know, we're going to talk more about sound, I think, in next week's film quite a bit. But this film also just makes excellent score choices, excellent uh, sort of music. Yeah, there's a little cue. metric in there. That was fun. Yeah, there, there, there's just it's really, really... Really well done, and uh, it's a movie I'd watch it again, which is not what I'd often say about a French extremity film. 
You know what? I'm kind of inclined to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, of all of some of the, like, the more, you know, six years of Shocktober, some of the more, like, viscerally unpleasant stuff that we've watched, there's films in the last six years that we've done that I still don't want to rewatch. I could probably rewatch Raw within, like, the next couple of weeks, though. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I did, too. Like, uh, I want something, uh, even, like, Lords of Salem. Yeah. Um, which is honestly less violent, is really just kind of more unpleasant to watch than uh, a film like this. I watched it yesterday. <laughs> of course you did. How's it hold up? It's great. I love it. It's a ton of fun, man. Yeah. Have you seen 31 yet? I have not seen 31 I see it at Walmart, yet. and I was wondering Here's the thing that's insane yet. to me. Uh, brief uh, sidebar. Um, I don't understand why people don't like Lords of Salem more. Like, why is Lords of Salem the Rob Zombie film that gets poo-pooed and, like, people put Devil's Rejects up on this pedestal? Oh, because, well... I mean, I, I, I have no idea. I think, oh, I think my offering is, a, is that it's it's too art house for them. I think it's too there. You go. It's too subversive for what they're expecting. They want gore. They want violence. They want all this in your face abrasive. I, I think as fan base, especially if you look back, because we did, did we do? We did Devil's Rejects. Did Devil's yeah, we never Rejects, did House right. of a Thousand Corpses. But and we so did there's Devil's that Rejects. kind of very abrasive, in your face, violent film. That kind of seventy splatter punk shit. Yeah, yeah. And Lords of Salem's quiet. It's more GIO type stuff. Very, yeah. yeah. It's very, which is more psychological, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Until you I, get to the ending. I just think we live in a society where people go to a fancy French restaurant and order chicken strips. Wait. What do you get at La Baguette? <laughs> I know oh, that's a local ref. That's I, don't, what that was. I don't get the chicken strips. I get whatever is the special, man. I'm going to try the new thing. Um, yeah. No, I th- Arthur, I think you make a good point. I think, be- you know, even all the way back to his, you know, days in White Zombie, um, I-, I think you're right. I think his fans are probably looking for that. They're looking for the, that splatterpunk influence more than they're looking for, you know, his art house influence. So, uh but yeah, I think Lords of Salem's the peak of his career for me. I totally agree with that. Okay, we can get off this sidebar. All right, moving uh, right along, dear listener. You've now heard our biases. They are generally pro towards the film Raw. And we are having this conversation in Dalton's bedroom. And we will be having this conversation somewhere else likely. But we'd be having it anyway uh, because we are already friends and we like to talk about these kinds of things. However, we're doing this so that we can have a conversation with you. And we can do that via the means we know as social media. Dalton, say words about the social media please i can certainly do that ladies and gentlemen uh and friends beyond the binary you can find us on uh twitter at good underscore trash please no hashtags about how your mother's a bitch or about the dog being put down i don't care for either of those things i don't want to hear about them um i i am not uh, justine you're not my older sister don't send me weird hashtags in a text message um so anyway that's facebook.com oh nope that's twitter.com at good <laughs> underscore trash but also we're on facebook that's facebook.com forward slash gtm as in good trash media both of those accounts are uh, usable for all things good trash obviously uh, as has been mentioned many weeks uh, and months now uh th- this is the only show that's really um you know, still going strong after six years. Uh, but if you have questions about the the back catalog of other content we've produced, please feel free. Um, we're more than happy to discuss those things with you. And again, you can do that facebook.com forward slash GTM and on Twitter at good underscore trash. And of course, certainly last but never least, uh, it would mean the world to us if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the show on uh, however you uh, get your podcasts, whether that's uh, Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, the Apple iTunes, Jesus Christ, the Apple Podcast app, there we go, or Stitcher Radio, uh, or any of those uh, other third-party services. We, it would really mean a lot to us. All righty. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now I'm going to get my jar of rabbit kidneys out because it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> 
And we're back with the game that everybody plays, but nobody ever wins. This week's game is our favorite body horror moments. Oh, that's right. Favorite body horror moments and horror cinema brought to you by Raw. Raw. Take your pick. There's plenty of good body horror in this film. Indeed, there is. And so with that... My personal favorite was the hairball. The hair... Oh, oh, man. Yeah, that one was real. That was honestly the the least violent and the roughest for me personally. A little Rapunzel syndrome going on there. Oh, I don't know. The Brazilian was pretty rough, too. And that's not even that horrifying. I mean... Oh, it's totally horrifying. Well, it's completely... It's not even that fantastical, I guess I should say. Yeah. Uh, And that's probably what makes it so horrifying. Yeah, it's like a real-life thing. Uh, Yeah. Sorry, ladies. You don't have to do that. No, yeah, really don't. You really really don't. Yeah. It's not fair. God. Oh, Jesus. Okay, I'm not a fan. So, Ugh. Dalton, without any further ado, let's Ugh. hear your first pick for favorite body horror moments. Uh, I am going to go ahead and start with a, a pair of classics. Uh, when you think of body horror, there's probably a couple of things you think about. One of the first things I think about, though, is werewolf films. Uh, and I'm going to go with two of my all-time faves, one of which comes up on the show a lot, and, and in fact is a film we've talked about on the show, uh, and that is... Uh, an American Werewolf in London, uh, directed by one um, Mr. John Landis, um, which is, again, just a guy with a really uh, kind of eclectic career. But uh, what an absolutely fantastic werewolf transformation, that film. Um, and one that I also really like is kind of underseen and not particularly great, but it's Stephen King's Silver Bullet, uh, starring nice. um, Gary Busey. I forget who else is in it. I think one of the Corys. Um, and it's actually, if I remember right, it's not even the werewolf transformation that stuck with me. It was the uh, transformation of the werewolf back into a human that's always stuck with me. It's got a really great effect of uh, hairs being sucked back into follicles, um, which I've always been really fascinated with, that image. Um, but those are two of my, my uh, favorites uh, and two, really two of my earliest exposures to body horror. I think I saw both of those films for the first time before the age of 13, probably. Mm. Um, so those are two like really early exposures. And I think... I think werewolf cinema is a good, usually early exposure to body horror because it, it kind of engages that part of your brain, but it's not as graphic as some of uh, the other stuff we'll surely talk about. But those are those are two tied picks for me. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your first selection for favorite body horror moments? I'm actually going to keep the uh, the wolf theme going. I'm going to shout out another movie we've talked about. Uh, not particularly good, but it is a lot of fun. It is Wolf Cop. Uh, when we see Lou's transformation in the restroom and Lou, everything. You're a wolf. Cop. Thanks. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen that movie, go watch it because it's a lot of fun. It's, it's just a blast. It's and buck I, wild, It's man. great. Uh, but he, there's a transformation in a bathroom and we see everything yes we do and we see everything transform and it is painful to watch it's very As gross a, a male i i cannot yeah uh yeah. but yep. it's a it's a great transformation sequence uh and it just goes full out and it just kind of sets the tone i think for for what you're seeing and it's a it's a good time i think so yeah i i, I appreciate werewolf movies and i think you're right i think you're onto something with that body horror there uh, making it a little more palpable uh, i don't think wolf cop does that but i think in a lot of instances you're right yeah Big time. Uh, yeah, Wolf Cop's a real gross one. Um, yeah. And they, they, wow, you, you, you see where all their budget went because yeah. it's very impressive. Yeah, it is. All right. Thank you very much for that. Um, my first pick is a Canadian film from the Sizoska sisters, or however you pronounce Shit, it. Yeah, baby. Yeah, American Mary yeah, dog. is the movie. And, uh, I, man, the Betty Boop, the, uh, the Barbie girl, it is so upsetting it is just desperately upsetting and it wrapped up in a sort of a rape revenge uh sort of film but it's got a little bit more going on it's uh, really i mean the non-narrative parts of that film are really 
the parts of the film that super excel for me. But yeah. uh, we we I don't think we can bring up that film without mentioning the a really incomparable Catherine Isabella yeah, uh, from good. Ginger Snaps, which already came up. Um, famous for that, and um, Brian Fuller's Hannibal also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that movie a lot, man. Ooh, 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 super ooh, but I love it. Uh, so there you go. That's the first round. Round two goes to Dalton Stewart. Now, what is your first or second selection for whatever? All hail the new Flash. Um, it's Videodrome. Um, yeah. There's not really one moment in particular I, I wanted. To, I, I guess the, the VCR in the chest. Yeah, the v, yeah that's the moment for me. Um, man. Also, really, watching bad things happen to that dirty old fuck bag um, in hindsight is pretty great. Um, who would have thought James Woods would turn out to be an asshole? Um, I really never would have seen that coming, honestly. I, I really liked him uh, as a child. Uh, my first exposure to him being Disney's Hercules from 1998. For obvious reasons, I am of a certain generation. Um, and uh, really came to appreciate him as an actor watching him in other films. And uh, that was a real bummer. It turned he, out he was a gross old scuzzbag who uh, hits on underage girls. Gross. All righty, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what's your number next? I am going to go with uh, we visited this franchise uh, just last week, and I'm going to go to Saw. Uh, we're going to go to the fifth entry, Saw 5. And there is a game uh, trap uh, that Jigsaw plays called Ten Pints of Sacrifice. You. Um, where the uh, contestants, maybe, um, have to stick their <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. arm into a tube uh, that has a uh, circular saw blade spinning. Uh, uh. And they have to uh, give uh, uh, ten pints of blood to uh, release the trap and uh, oh, beat man. the game. And so uh, it's it's pretty intense, especially as you see the saw blade go straight up the middle of the arm towards oh. the elbow. Um, is that the ulna? Is, is that the arm? Is the ulna and the uh, radius, radius and, and ulna? Radius radius and ulna. Yeah, it's right between the radius and ulna. It's, it's pretty intense. Uh, it's very memorable. Uh, 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 so I'm going yeah, to give a nod to that one. Well, Dustin, I know that... Uh, Surely mine will not be the only mention of the Canadian master, yes, uh, David Cronenberg. So let's talk about him in the fly. Let's talk about Brundlefly, guys. The the entire transformation, just the squishiness and the goopiness and the and the just absolute utter abjectness the, uh, the, of that moment. The absolute destruction of the beauty that is Jeff Goldblum. Right, and it, yes, yes, indeed, and that's that's part of what makes it so very desperately sad. As well. But yeah, you can do no better uh, than uh, David Cronenberg's remake of the 50s sort of B uh, action film or science fiction film. Is, is Vincent Price in the original? That yes, sounds correct yeah, to me. It okay. Is. okay. Uh, but yeah, Goldblum and uh, Cronenberg do a much better job, in my opinion, and it's a great, great, great film. So I recommend it highly. Uh, let's go to number thirds. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your third pick for? Favorite body horror moments. Well, I don't think anybody else is going to bring it up. So before we move on to my actual final selection, I do want to give a little love to John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, it gets talked about so much, I kind of figured none of us would bother to bring it up. But um, it, it is worth mentioning. We have talked about it on the show before. Um, what, what wonderful practical effects throughout. Um, one of my personal favorites is the tummy that eats the hands. Um, the head crab, another good one. Um, there's so many. Or the head spider, whatever you want to call it. Um, but my actual pick is a film that I did not realize had any body horror. Um, so that's, uh, when we watched it really shocked me and, um, the rare animated body horror. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about Akira, um, Tetsuo, nice. Tetsuo's Good. flesh gun, um, uh, which is less sexual than it sounds, but, uh, still pretty gross and phallic. Um, yeah, T- Tetsuo's arm cannon or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That whole effect is just really, uh, really something else. And you don't see a lot of animated body horror, um, uh, certainly not uh, coming from anywhere other than Japan, really. 
Um, I, I can't think of any other examples. Uh, Dustin, you got any weird like Spanish or French animation you're aware of that does body I, horror? Not off the top of my head, no. Hey, I can't I'm, think I'm of certain it. there is some, but yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I, uh, as we were sitting down to do this, I was like, oh, wait, let's talk about that. Because when we went to do Akira, I was just, you know, I was like, okay, I know it's like dystopian, you know, Neo-Tokyo biker gangs and stuff. And then there's all this body horror at the end of the movie that I was not expecting. So uh, points for surprising the hell out of me and, and points for uh, really doing super interesting things with body horror. And I think that's why, uh, as we kind of put a pin in this game, I think that's why body horror kind of continues to be so effective. It's not just the visceral grossness of it. I, I think what makes it so effective is it is usually being... Uh, deployed to say something pretty interesting uh, about the human condition, uh, about our relationships with our bodies, uh, and our, you know, a lot of the times our relationships with our, our mortalities, uh, our mortality as expressed through, like, youth and beauty and stuff like that, which is super interesting to me. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your third and final favorite body horror moment pick? I, I'm going to pick one that actually uh, it comes from a movie I don't think you expect either. Uh, uh, um, but uh, I'm going to go with Alien. And I'm going to pick yeah. the uh, the face hugger and cane and the chestburster because it is such it has become such an iconic yeah, uh, a good moment pick. in film and uh, and there's I mean it's a great performance from Hurt mm-hmm. uh, in that moment with I mean the whole movie but in that moment especially as he's you know struggling with the face hugger uh, but then we get you know it's pushing against the the chest and then we get the burst and it's just it's a great moment I think and it's a very uh, memorable moment as well as just kind of influenced. And left its mark in pop culture. And absolutely. And I think a big part of what makes it so effective then, and I mean, and, you know, um, Roy O'Bannon, who wrote the screenplay, talked about this. Um, you know, let's uh, take what men are afraid of, uh, children, uh, and make them experience it. Let's let's take the idea of, of, of the penetration, of the impregnation, of the delivery, um, and graft it onto a, a male body. And, um, and, and it's interesting to me because I, I think... Sexual violence in horror has always, you know, been there implicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't. It didn't really show up explicitly until the '80s. Really, I mean, you got uh, Carpenter doing things like Last House on the Left in the '70s, um, and then you know, but even in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween, the the, the sexual violence of Leatherface and Michael Myers is very implicit, um, which is honestly, you know, for the best. Um, you got to be. I think you have, should. I don't think male filmmakers should touch that with a 10-foot pole, frankly, um, unless they're, you know, unless they're visiting uh, the idea of sexual violence on a male body, which is what Alien, the original, does, which is kind of what's so interesting about the Xenomorph uh, as, um, you know, all-destroying hell beast. Um, but, yeah, Hurt's performance is really what sells that moment and and that beautiful chest effect. Yeah, that could have been really cheesy, but it, it, works, it works so, so well. well yeah. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, as we come up and I round out our selections for this, um, as we talked about last week, this idea of the abject and uh, power of horror from Julia Kristeva was mentioned. I do want to re-mention that because we are dealing with the sort of theory of the abject uh, right now with this thing called body horror. I also want to recommend a little Franz Kafka. You got to read The Metamorphosis, I think, which also sort of plays into some of the same ideas that we're doing. And then watch my film of my third pick, which is yet another David Cronenberg film. That's three Cronenberg films out. out of nine, um, and this one is the brood, which I don't know if you guys have That's seen the, the poops, the the poop slugs, the babies, the babies, the scary, scary babies. Yeah, and uh, it's. That's I think that I'm thinking of the same thing. Okay, they're, they're like lizards, right? They look like. Uh, 
kind of look like turds, don't they? The, that that might be shivers. I'm thinking of shivers. Yeah, that that makes them have sex a bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I'm th- thinking of shivers. This is okay. So that's about copulation. This is about procreation, and it's 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 a man. I'm telling you what, it's a Criterion release right now. So if you got the film struck or access to uh, other Criterion titles, it's a very very pretty print of a very very icky icky film. A- and guys, should we be doing a Cronenberg marathon at some point? Yes. Sorry, what? <laughs> I'm willing to discuss it, I guess. I, I yes. mean, because here's the thing. You, you're you're obsessed with this, you know, the splatterpunk late 70s, early 80s Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with this this weird nihilist action director that he turned into for a little bit in the late 2000s. Yes. Yeah. Uh, man, Eastern Promises and A History of Violence are like two I of love my favorite films. Movies. Yeah. Oh, I, and I love A Dangerous Method. I've still it's not caught up with A so Dangerous good, Method. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're doing a Cronenberg marathon. And, and Naked Lunch. Can we do Naked Lunch? Uh, there's only like four weeks in a month. That's, um, that's a weird one in the middle. Okay, we got. We're not it. doing eight weeks of David Cronenberg. No, uh, why not? <laughs> okay, we'll decide. We'll decide <laughs> because between, he's not Denzel. We'll decide between Naked Lunch, Ringers, and um, draw, or um, Crash. Okay, we'll get one of those weird early '90s ones. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll 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 work on it. It's happening. Okay, so uh, not only did you get a selection of the juiciest body horror, uh, you've got uh, a peek behind the curtain of how we decide on marathons. Then this is pretty much how the conversation always goes. So enough of this, guys. It is now time to get down to business. And we're back to bring you some of that tasty, tasty analysis, dear listener. Oh, come oh, on. That was a bad sound. Have, have some fava beans <laughs> and a nice can tea. Um, I got this hairball. So, okay, there are many, many things that we can talk about. And uh, I guess the first thing I want to throw out is the sort of biggie on the eye chart because I think it is what the film is probably the least about. Mm-hmm. So it's a good introductory thing. Let's talk about its position in terms of vegetarianism. There's a couple things going on in there. There's the, the, the justifications of that sort of as a uh, dietary decision based, uh, based on ethics and also the sort of social pressures uh, that orbit around making said choice so i give you your choice as to which to tackle first gentlemen go i think it's really interesting um uh, i mean the, the julia ducrono i think is how you say that last name uh the writer director of this film I, I definitely think she she picks a a topic that is kind of like fraught with discourse in society especially you know everybody eats everybody eats together um communal eating is kind of like one of the things that we do as a species um and, and so i think she she sees appetites and food uh, and sees like how much you can do with that um you know allegorically and metaphorically uh so i think she very smartly picked something i wonder if there there is a real i'm curious about vegetarianism stigmas in france though or like france and belgium i'm wondering like what the deal is because People seem to have a real disdain for her, her uh, vegetarianism in this film. Oh, for I ju- think they're probably like for Americans. Justine. Yeah, like yeah, that's probably right on par. I don't know. I feel like most of the people I know are mostly tolerant and like don't get up in people's shit about not yeah. eating meat. I don't. I mean, yeah. No, I, I mean, there's there's some weird old people who are you know kind of douchey about it. I mean, the more podunk you get, the more resistance you'll probably see. But well, and I think podunk makes up a pretty large uh, percentage population wise of the United States. Yeah. That's fair. I think you'll hear about it more if you yourself were one. Yeah. There is there is a that's certain true. amount of class stratification happening though. Uh, certain people. I mean, the more money you have, the more luxury you have to 
say no to an entire group of foods. Um, I mean, there there is a certain class strata yeah. to veganism and vegetarianism. Uh, but early in the film, there is like a just a, a serious, even that first scene where they her, she's eating out with her family um, at this like cafeteria. There's a real sense of disdain from the person serving her for her lack of meat, and even the cafeteria at the the veterinary school. Like well, you, you would think there'd be a lot of vegetarians in veterinary school. Yeah, and well, they sneak her a meatball in her mashed potatoes just to mess with her. Yeah, yeah. That's the, it's early on in the film. There is just disdain for the eating of meat, uh, and we find out there's like a plot reason for like how seriously her family takes vegetarianism. Obviously, um, but it's just kind of peculiar to me. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in it. I'd like to, if, if any of our listeners, uh, have spent time in France, um, you know, living abroad, um, or, 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 uh, you know, French based listeners, I would like to know more about, uh, attitudes towards vegetarianism, um, in Western Europe, because I was really interested in, in the, the very real disdain that Justine faces, even from her own sister. I think playing off what Dalton was saying, I think he kind of hit on this, uh, in his, his speech there, but I, I think that. I don't feel the vegetarianism is much of a theme. I think it is more no, of that allegory for, you know, sexual desire and impulse and and just desire the flesh in any way, you know, not just, you know, sex. And I think it's just a, a really nice veil for that because, like you said, everybody eats. So it's a great place to hit and make it relevant and make it resonate. And, you know, I think a lot about Texas Chainsaw, which is kind of the flip of that, where, you know, it's very, very, feels like very anti-meat and anti, mm-hmm. you know, manufacturing of foods. A little over the top, really. Yeah. yeah. But it's veiled under this, you know, the guise of just a slasher movie. Uh, but it works because of the setting. Um, and so I think that's what it here. I, I think that's just a nice way to allow us to be brought into this world and unsettle us even more because, you know, like you said, dining is such a communal thing and it's such... I mean, it's important to everybody. Obviously, if you don't eat, you know, you'll die. But oh, wait, is that what happens? I, I hear rumor. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I won't die, so I don't know. You'll have to tell me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna live forever like Grandpa over here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I I really don't feel like it does have a lot to say. I think it's just a great uh, way, uh, great setup for an allegory and great uh, metaphor. I tend to concur. They do address it briefly though there's a moment there's a cafeteria table moment when she's finally at that school mm-hmm. and they're discussing her position as yeah. a vegetarian yeah. and she talks about the emotional life of monkeys and she talks yeah. about the intelligence of pigs and those kinds of things and i find that to be an interesting way to consider the discussion because uh you know what what she ends up doing is that she equates the emotional life of animals that they would feel a similar kind of suffering as human beings and you know equates uh, the rape of a monkey to the rape of a human being, that a woman might feel the same thing that a, a, a simian might it's feel. It's a very interesting scene because uh, she's directly speaking to two men, and then uh, another woman looks at her and goes, I'm sorry, the fuck did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is, a very, the dynamics of that scene are yeah. really kind of interesting. Yeah. But here's the thing that I kept thinking about in terms of that. Like, okay, yeah, sure, there's a different level or whatever with monkeys than there are with humans, but they are similar in many, many ways. But when we start talking about what we eat, what we don't eat, what we abuse, what we don't abuse, what we exploit, what we don't exploit, we start beginning to use, if it was people, it would be what we would call now ableist arguments. Yeah, right? absolutely. You, you can't take advantage of a person just because they don't understand as much or don't know as much. No, as, absolutely. You know, but if if we were to expand said argument, uh, you know, yeah. a pig is as smart as a dog, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the, but it doesn't even matter if it's as smart as a dog. It tastes better than a dog. It does taste better than a dog. <laughs> I don't know. I've never had dog before. I've had dog. 
Really? How really? Old? Dominican Republic. Uh, How's it taste? Uh, it's best beef I ever had. Really? Uh, yeah, it was a good stew. <laughs> it makes sense, honestly. And that's why uh, early people's, uh, one of the reasons early people's domesticated dogs, uh, as one of their usefulnesses is uh, a last-ditch uh, emergency food supply. Yep. Yeah, not bad. So um, I don't recommend it. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to eat my dog. Yeah, You're correct. Yeah, I'm going to eat your dog. But oh no, uh, ah, there's not a lot of meat on that. I don't want. I don't eat. Uh, it's a small pup, man. Yeah, he ain't yeah, got yeah Charlie's just a couple bites anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're. Oh God, Arthur's dog. Yeah, ain't hey, no meat on those bones. <laughs> Poor guy. So yeah, this movie's not about vegetarian. It, it really isn't. It is about a, a great many other things. So I guess the first thing I want to take t- take on is the idea of the body image issue meets the eating disorder. Okay. What do we see in the film, and how can we explicate that a little further, gentlemen? I, I mean, the, the the scene that most immediately comes to mind is, um, I'm trying to remember if it's the hairball scene or if it's after she, um, the, the first time she eats, um, is it when she bites the dude's lip? I can't remember when this is. What are you oh, looking no, for? It's in the hospital after she eats her sister's finger, and she's trying to, gag and throw up the yeah. finger. And, By the way, uh, this is a movie in which she bites a guy's lip off, she eats her sister's finger, and she ch- gags on a hairball. I just want to recap. Yeah, these are all things that happen The in this three film. things Dalton just said, they're yeah. all in this movie. So she's uh, gagging the hairball in the bathroom at school, Correct. and a girl goes to her, hey, you know it would be easier if you used two Correct. fingers, right? Well, she does, in fact, uh, put that into practice at the hospital after she's eaten her sister's finger. She, like, becomes super disgusted with herself and is trying to throw up this finger. Um, and I think those are the scenes that, like, immediately come to mind and most directly speak to, you know, bulimia. And I think somebody makes reference to her possibly being anorexic at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, her yeah. sister. Well, her sister, I think, That's questions right. quite a bit why she's not why are you not gaining eating? weight. Yeah, she yeah. looks Well, there's that visit sick. with the nurse also, and, and there she's amazed at this this heavy girl, you know, yeah. this, that, that the nurse did yeah. not say something about her weight. Yeah. That was a real sad scene. It was. Um, that really bummed me out. Uh, and, and I think it, it's really an issue that um, is hard to address. I remember um, when uh, Marty Noxon's film To the Bone uh, just recently came out, the Netflix film, there was a lot of kind of heated debate of, about whether or not how to talk about eating disorders in film. It is even addressing the way a body, um, any body, uh, any one's body, there we go, a lot, lot of pronouns and words being thrown around here that mean multiple things um can you show a body with an eating disorder without glorifying that body uh it's a very interesting conversation um i'm I'm, i don't really want to wade into this i've never had an eating disorder i you know i've had my own struggles with my body image and my weight but uh, i would never go as far as say i've had an eating disorder just you know the same run-of-the-mill uh body shame that any chubby kid has um and, you know, a chubby kid who didn't like being chubby and tried to fix that. But I definitely would not say I've had an eating disorder. So I want to be really careful as we wade into this topic. But it is an interesting conversation, uh, the idea of, and again, I'm just saying I don't have any authority to speak on this. But it, it is an interestingly dicey issue. Can you, does depiction equate an endorsement in this circumstance? Because these body images issues are so difficult for the people that struggle with them. Is any showing of that body um, going to possibly be in a positive light? And uh, I think um, our director here, whose name I'm Julia, we'll just go ahead and call her, go on a first name basis because I don't want to butcher her last name again. Um, I definitely think she is doing her best to engage with it allegorically for that very reason. Um, Because a direct engagement with that is so fraught with potentially problematic issues 
that uh, I, I think probably allegory is the way to go. Well, it is a good choice because then, you know, her body is not really the issue. And so exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I, bodies are referenced, but without the, you know, and eating disorders, bulimia and anorexia are referenced, but without letting the film directly become about them without, you know, uh, Justine's body being really the topic of the film. It's her relation to other people's bodies. Um, I, I think that does a really good job of kind of sidestepping the potentially problematic issues of addressing um, eating disorders. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but also, this comes uh, on the heels of this sort of moment of sexual awakening, right? Where she herself, um, her, her her sexual desire is sort of uh, aroused, and that's what brings about again this this crazy compulsive eating that she's doing, and also this strange relationship she has with her gay roommate. Um, I, I find it to be strange, uh, and. Uh, disturbing i don't know what you guys want to say i don't about. know any schools in the states that would is that a thing in the states that you would put a guy and a girl in the same room together is I, that a european thing it's probably feels like I, a european I, thing I, yeah i feel like there what? are co-ed floors in yeah. dorms but I, yeah, I, I've heard I, of I don't that. think i don't think there's co-ed rooms yeah yeah that's yeah. bizarre well and again he does make direct reference to like yeah they stuck with me because i'm gay yeah um and that might, maybe they're overcrowded or something th- there might be a, a, a certain amount of um that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, you know, a country with more uh, enlightened sexual politics that says, yeah. okay, if you're a straight woman, you're a gay dude, or, you know, vice versa. Like, as long as you two don't want to have sex with each other, you can be in the same room. Um, which, again, yeah, that, that is kind Turns of the, not to work. The, the ignoring of uh, homoeroticism when pairing people of the same gender in a, in a cohabitation is hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, it's very funny. Uh, just all of – look, man. There's a lot of writing about boys fucking at boys' schools in the 50s. I'm just saying. Uh, it's very funny. Uh, the idea that you can just remove... Uh, w- w- if you can just segregate people by sex organ, you can keep people from having sex is a very silly idea. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it surprised me, too. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and assume that's a European yeah. thing. Um, I, I think there's some great moments, and I think that's the strongest allegory for this film is that kind of sexual awakening as she's trying to figure out, you know... You know, being put into this more, uh, she seems very sheltered. I would mm-hmm. I, just from that opening scene and just the way her sister kind of speaks, and uh, I think we're kind of given these clues that her sister was very much like her when she first got to vet school. Um, but it's I, I, I vets party hard apparently. Uh, apparently, French vets party harder than anybody I've ever heard of. When I this film first came out, I remember that being part of the conversation is that. There is some certain real. There is a certain amount of realism to the um, the hazing of uh, veterinary schools in France. Apparently, it's so interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, but uh, I I feel like there's some you know, obviously with puberty or with you know as you age and you're trying to figure yourself out. I mean, you know, sexuality is a huge part of that, and and trying to identify those you know triggers and factors and you know how what your body you know what you like and what your body likes and how you respond to all that. And I, I think that's a large part of this. You know, she's coming into this new world uh, on her own. I mean, vastly independent of anything, even her sister. I mean, her sister's there, but sh- her sister's not holding her hand through anything or, you know, defending her from anything. Uh, and, and we get these great moments. Uh, I mentioned, alluded to it earlier, but there's this sequence where she dances in front of the mirror. Yes. And, you know, yeah. she's got her sister's dress on and they've got this uh, very raunchy uh, French rap song. Uh, that playing. song is buck ass wild. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah. French song. I love <laughs> it. I love it so much. Yeah. There's a lot. Uh, fuck sixty nine. I'm six six six. What in the, <laughs> this French song is buck wild. I love it. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, a, but it's a great moment. But it, 
it, it oddly alluded, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it did. It reminded me so much of the dance sequence in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, no, Girlhood. Girlhood oh, yeah. I thought about Silence of the Lambs. I didn't think about that. I mean, that works as well, I believe. It does work. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking a lot of Girlhood, and I, I feel like that may be a more culturally aware uh, reference uh, for this scene. But yeah, I, I, I think I think the sexuality is a large part of it, you know, and she's, you know, becomes attracted to her roommate, which is weird. But he's a handsome guy. He's a good-looking dude. He's incredibly handsome. Um, the my lashes. Yeah, she's watching him on the soccer field with the muscles rippling. Pretty boy. Uh, and it, it's weird. Uh, it's not weird. It, it's very understandable. Like he can tell that she likes him, and he's doing yeah. his best to navigate that and try to like help this girl who clearly needs a friend. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a really tragic relationship, honestly. Yeah. He's he's doing everything he can, and you know, finally has to be like, look. I spent twenty years of my life not being out. I'm not gonna. I didn't come out just so I could go back to having sex with girls. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna be your boyfriend. Like, I gave you something that I you 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 wanted from me uh, because it seemed like you needed it, not just wanted it. Like you needed that physical connection with somebody, but that's not who I am. I can't be that person for you. Yeah, it's really a beautiful scene. Honestly, it's mm-hmm. very kind of heartfelt and uh, tragic. Um, but uh, I'm right there with you, Arthur. I, I, it's one of my favorite aspects of the entire movie is their relationship and, and yeah. that, that dichotomy of what she wants versus what he has to give. Yeah. Well, I think it really works in some way that the whole film is sort of a, a, a queer cinema example uh, of this idea of the entirely taboo desire. Right. We do live in a day and age where if it was simply just sort of a homosexual romance, you know, or even a, a transgendered, you know, gender queer uh, sort of film, you know, it would just be uh, that sort of standard liberal, let's all live and let live kind of thing. And it wouldn't really bore down into the depths of just how transgressive it feels to be the perpetrator of the taboo act. And I, I think, if nothing else, that that, that awakening and, uh, again, uh, she's transgressing the boundaries and borders of his uh, standard and stated sexuality. And uh, she wants to go for more and more and more. The idea of the uh, eating of the raw meat and the cannibalism and those kind of things. It is these desires that are just sort of built up into her. And that this is how dirty, this is how wrong, this is how criminal uh, society makes a person like this feel. And uh, I, I think there's a real sort of gritty reality um, that's at work there. Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely is, uh, I, I think, in this film, an overlap in um, societal taboos around cannibalism and certain so- societies' taboos towards, you know, non-heteronormative sex and non-gender uh, binary sex. Um, For the uh, record, we are not equating cannibalism fuck with... Fuck no. That, no. What we're saying is what the, Julia is trying to do is make a comment about the way society taboos consumption and desire. Um yeah, absolutely not. We would never do those things. Thank you, Dustin, for making sure that that was clear. Because, yeah, um, not that team. No, absolutely. No, fuck no. Um, but, I, again, I think that's what's interesting about the film is is that it, it makes it makes the audience think about the things that we choose to put taboos on, or the things that we have chosen to put to taboos on throughout human history. Um, and, and, again, the way society makes people feel, as you said, it makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. You know, eating people, not good. Yeah, we're uh, against it. Real bad. Wanting to have <laughs> what, wanting to have uh, <laughs> wanting to have consensual, uh, healthy uh, adult sexual relationships. Nothing wrong with that, man. Um, but society can often make you feel like a cannibal for liking what you like. Um, and I think that 
is what is being engaged with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a great film. We had a good time uh, with it and enjoying it, I think. But we must now come to the point of the show. We must render a verdict reg- regarding uh, where uh, what we're going to do with this film. Whether they're going to put it in the shelf, put it in the shelf, put it on the shelf. Wait, 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 wait. I, I, I want to know what was the most disturbing part of the movie for you. Oh, man. The most, the, mo- disturbing. the most personally disturbing part. I'll tell you what really disturbs me. Um, I remembered the article I read about French veterinary schools. It was on Birth Movies Death when uh-huh. this film first uh, was having its uh, its uh, festival circuit. Um, no, it was right when it had its initial theatrical release back in March of this year. Um, French veterinary programs? Uh, there's a hazing ritual that involves being sewed up inside of a dead horse. Ooh. Yeah, so if you want to learn more about French veterinary schools, uh, Birth Movies Death has a, a great article about that. I want that. nothing to do with that at all. Yeah. Um, the thing that I found most uh, disturbing, again, I, I think is probably going to be the hairball, uh, was really, because un- it just, just going. keeps going. Uh, and then the... the I've had that nightmare. The strip that of, was, that's, the that's strip of wax trouble. getting stuck to oh, her thigh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. The wax strip was my oh, toughest I, moment. Yeah. I, I, I've been with my yeah. partner while she was waxing, and um, man, it's unpleasant to watch. And I like, I, she still does it. I told her, ah, you, you can't talk somebody into doing what makes them feel pretty, I, but it's unpleasant to watch, bro. Oh. Yeah, that's that's gotta be the hardest thing. <sighs> yeah, that one was again. It's it's the things that are m- the most real. I've had oh, hair stuck well, in the back of, of my throat. Yeah, uh, another one though is uh, when she's getting the skin peeled off her stomach at the nurse. Oh, oh god, goodness. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh god, yeah, it's the most real. Yeah, it's, I've had a sunburn. Yeah, I've had that skin yeah. peeled. The cannibalism's not even the grossest yeah, stuff no, in this it's movie. Not. It's the things that you've actually seen happen. Yeah. or like can imagine happening. All right. Ugh. Yeah, Justin, what's do? What does it for you? I, it's definitely the Brazilian wax. I think is the worst moment. Yeah, you know, for the in, in the film for me, it's just oh, it's so so upsetting. Also, there are there are there are female listeners that, that right moment now where who she are just chomps down into a raw chicken breast. Yeah, is made out of sugar. Gross about it. I looked yeah. it up. It's made out of sugar. I don't yeah. want none. No, I don't want none. Uh, th- there are female <laughs> listeners listening to this, or just people. There are people who wax listening to this, being like, "You fucking dum dumps. Yeah. yeah, you babies. Yeah, you babies. Definitely, you are, big babies. I will accept that I'm a big baby. Same. It looks too Correct. unpleasant. Mm-mm. Correct. Mm-mm. Alrighty, well there you go. Um, let's go ahead and render. Let's thank, do it. Thank you for asking that question, uh, Arthur. Shelf of trash, else or instead with the film Raw. I feel like we had to talk about it. I mean, that's what the whole movie's about: is disturbing moments that are intensely uh, hard no, to watch. No, no, thank you for bringing that yeah, to the a good table, question Arthur. To have asked. Um, but uh, I do think the bite on the cheek, though, at the end is that when one, you see the gaping that wound hurt. later. That was gross. Yeah, uh, I shelf. I'm putting this on the shelf. This is a good movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's super solid. I think it's got a lot of potential on a rewatch. Uh, to find new details, but also to try and unpack some more stuff from it. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely on the shelf. And I'm going to pair with it three movies where people get bit on the face. Nice. Uh, All right. So we're going to start off with, as it's, it's come up a few times already, but Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Hannibal the Cannibal does like to There's bite Jim Pember. Now talk to him, damn it. <laughs> and I, I think of the sequence in the, uh, the yep. cage mm-hmm. uh, in Memphis, or in Tennessee. Memphis, I believe. Memphis or, is in Tennessee. Well, I mean, they're in Tennessee, right, when they go. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I'm going to say uh, Black Swan, mm-hmm. uh, where we get that romantic kiss, where she bites uh, Tomas uh, in the film. And then uh, finally, the uh, cinematic surrealist masterpiece, uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where the penguin uh, bites a nose off of an aide uh, mm-hmm. uh, during At least I his don't campaign. Have blood gushing out of my nose. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> 
Uh, it's a fun film. So those are my pairings with Raw to kind of hopefully uh, lighten the mood and bring you back down to a, a easier place to live. Cleanse the palate, you yes. might say. <laughs> All righty. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash, else or instead? Uh, I, yeah, we got to shelf this. Um, even if only for the last scene, which recontextualizes everything else, yes. which really makes... We didn't even talk about the film as being explicitly about female desire mm-hmm. and the taboo of female just... You, uh, the, the historical taboo, uh, you know, in a in a male written culture, historically the taboo yeah. between female, the taboo behind female sexuality. Uh, the final scene with her father recontextualizes. Oh, the whole movie's about the women in this family and their sexuality, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, demonizing their urges. Uh, which you know, when it involves literal the consumption of human flesh, probably no good. But uh, otherwise. Yeah, play ball, ladies. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, a wonderful film that is just so dense and full of, like, really fascinating stuff and uh, is gross as hell and uh, really fun and weird and disgusting and kind of beautiful. So I, I would also shelf it, Arthur. Uh, I, unfortunately, do not have more pleasant viewing for you, uh, just more gross stuff, unfortunately. Uh, we're going to be recommending the French uh, new ex- – oh, Jesus, guys, I'm having a hard time talking Learn right to now. talk. I know. Sometimes, before next week, learn to talk. Before next week, I will remember – Remember how words are formed in my mouth. Uh, the other new French extremity film we have talked about on the Good Trash Genre cast is Martyrs. I'm um, sorry. Uh, I'm going to recommend that. It's also a very powerful, very gross, very beautiful, very upsetting film. Um, and is really quite remarkable. And if you haven't seen it and you dug raw, I cannot think of a better film to pair it with. Because it also engages with a lot of the same uh, gender stuff that we've talked about here. Although that film is uh, written and directed by dudes, I believe. Um I could be wrong. I might have to do some research on that off air. Um, and I'm also going to recommend the, a film that's already come up, the Canadian film by the Soska sisters, uh, American Mary. Yeah. Uh, which I think really does pair quite well with this film just because it is uh, about, um, you know, the medical field, um, hazing um, and uh, trauma that takes place against students, um, the things that keep people out, that bar people from entry into higher echelons of their field. Um, yeah, really interesting overlaps between American Mary and Raw, I think. And uh, really, those are the two that kind of pair well uh, a little bit better than Martyrs and Raw. Uh, Martyrs and Raw is kind of more of a, a genre um, double bill. Uh, American Mary and uh, Raw definitely, I think, has a lot of thematic overlap in interesting ways. Excellent, excellent. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I'm also going to say Shelf, which surprises no one, I'm sure. Uh, this movie's really good, and it's really worth the conversation. And as you say, it is so dense. There's just so much going on with it that makes it worthwhile. My pairing is also going to be from the new French extremities, Claire Denis, who is one of my favorite directors, uh, her film Trouble Every Day. Because both of these films carry the certain valence with vampirism and uh, desire and playing on that sort of thing without going into the supernatural necessarily. Uh, Trouble Every Day has got a bit more of a science fiction kind of thing to it, and it is a bit more difficult to watch. It's not as bad as Martyrs, so if it's like a scale of vanilla to chocolate or vanilla to crazy, I don't know what you're doing here in terms of my scale here. Vanilla to crazy. Vanilla to crazy is what we're going to go with, I think. Neapolitan? Is that Uh, where we're at? Neapolitan, yeah. Vanilla to crazy. Yeah, I I was picturing a Neapolitan ice cream sandwich. That's kind of what I was doing, too. That's weird that we all thought that without even talking about it. Um, But 
But yeah, vanilla is going to be uh, your raw. So I mean, it, it's vanilla, but it's vanilla with like you know glass in it. It's not. <laughs> it's got some problems going. That's on. my favorite Halloween ice cream. <laughs> you know, uh, and then uh, Claire Denise, uh, Trouble Every Day is going to be your strawberry middle, and uh, you know, Martyrs is going to be your chocolate end of that. But if you were to pair uh, Trouble Every Day, which is dealing with desire and consumption of a lover and sexual, uh, again, uh, just. Uh, overwhelming sexual desire that's doing some similar things as this film is also wrapped in sort of that standard uh horror film uh kind of trappings although it's not about that sort of stuff at all and uh thus and therefore i recommend it very very highly so well there you go guys we've had a fun conversation and it's been a good time we are going to keep rocking on down this october train though uh what's happening next arthur Arthur doesn't know. Huh? Oh, sorry. I was having a hard time hearing you. Um, next week, we're going to wrap up Shocktober. That was clever. Uh, we're going to wrap up Shocktober, but we're also going to do this thing where we're kind of bridging between marathons. And so next week, oh, we're going to uh, revisit a little independent horror film uh, that was picked up by Netflix following Sundance, I believe, yeah, or another I, film festival. I, do, I don't believe this was produced for Netflix. I think it was a Netflix yeah. acquisition. Yeah, they acquis- uh, yeah, they're solely distributor. It wasn't a production. But... Um, they uh, they put it on Netflix as a solid little horror film from a uh, horror director to watch, Mike Flanagan. And we're going to watch Hush. That's right. Um, we're going to do the entire podcast in sign language. That is not Correct. true. None of us are fluent in ASL. and uh, wouldn't, I, I, It's a podcast no one will know. Yeah. Uh, well, no, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur <laughs> just uh, show me some signs he knows. They uh, He's number one. Um, now we're getting really now we're getting very mean with each other Uh, uh, but yeah we'll be watching Mike Flanagan's Hush which is a movie we've all seen before I believe right no this first time I've seen it uh, it's going to be a repeat it's going to be a repeat watch for Arthur and I it'll be a first timer for Dustin Uh, and we will use that to bridge into um, our next marathon which do you want to go yeah we'll go ahead and announce it we will be following Shocktober uh, with our first annual uh, possibly uh, potentially uh, Netflix in November they've been putting out so much interesting and unique and diverse yeah. uh, media that we were tired of paying for renting stuff. And uh, we just want to revisit some of this stuff and maybe catch up on some uh, 2017 releases. And, they, yeah, they put out so many films in 2017. I think yeah. we will just be watching 2017 yeah. Netflix films. Yeah. And so we were going to be seeing some uh, pretty prestigious ones and maybe some trashy ones, but uh, they'll all be fun. And maybe some things in the middle. And so we're going to bridge all of that with Mike Flanagan's Hush. And all of this comes down to say simply this. It doesn't matter the budget. doesn't matter the popularity. doesn't matter whether it's good or whether it's bad. All that matters is if it's made out of film. If it's made out of film. And well, I don't it doesn't even have to be made out of film. It could be shot on a video camera. shot on video. I know. As soon as I said it, like, I, you yeah. guys know what I mean, though. Old man. But it's made out of movie. Yeah. When it's made out of movie, <laughs> it's worth the conversation. So we're going to keep talking. You keep watching. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a production of Good Trash Media. For more info on all things Good Trash Media, you can head over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is a supercut featuring the sounds of Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer from the Wonder Woman score and a selection of film clips curated by our own Arthur Gordon. And our outro music this week is Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran.
Hey.